I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd wherever podcasts are available. You don't eat sweets? No. How about like ice cream? Mm-mm. I'm amazed. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin. Self-care is something that can be tough to prioritize. And I'll admit, I'm not great at it. I'm juggling my career in entertainment, this podcast, life in general. It's a lot of work, but I do love producing and directing, and I do love this podcast. I've had great people who have guested, and I've been able to connect with my listeners, some who have reached out and I've gotten to know. Still, it's a lot. And I don't know about you, but it is so hard to step back because financially speaking, you have to work and eat. So can you imagine stepping back from a successful project? What about stepping back from a hugely popular television show? That's exactly what my next guest did. She is someone I've worked with previously and loved. She's a talented actress who just finished a great run as the ass-kicking agent Alina Park on the hugely successful Blacklist. Sit back and turn it up because I've got the incredible Laura Sohn. Thank you so much for coming over and having this conversation with me. Obviously, we met on the blacklist and I so enjoyed working with you. And I'm so glad that you agreed to come with no bribing or anything to come <laughs> talk to me on my podcast. How's your summer going? Like, how have you been? Yeah, my summer has been really good. I feel being on set, it's a very grueling work week. And I've been enjoying just finding my own routine and getting into the groove of things that I really love little hobbies here and there of doing pottery, getting into golf with my mom, doing more wholesome activities has been really good for my soul. 
Yeah. Wholesome activities. First of all, you're just finishing your stint as Alina Park on Blacklist and kicking some serious ass and killing people. So pottery is definitely a little bit more wholesome. It's zen. It's meditative. I feel like maybe I'm working out my traumas that I've pushed into the deep end. And it's very therapeutic for me. Yeah. Yeah, Because all kidding aside, a show like that as a series regular and the physicality of your role Mm -hmm. is so much work. I think people don't understand that when you're shooting a show like that, it is all encompassing. You are on set. That's all you do. Your hours are incredibly long. What were your days like just so people get a better sense of how much it took? And again, congratulations on a great run. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, I am a morning person, but I didn't know that you had to be an extra early morning person (laughs) working on TV. I woke up at 4.30, 5 o'clock just to get to set. And then when we're on set, it's right into the makeup room. And then we do our hair and makeup. And then it's a 7 o'clock rehearsal. By that point, I've already had my morning coffee, breakfast, worked out, did my poop. And (laughs) I'm like getting in the zone to get ready to work. But no one's working at seven o'clock in the morning. My boyfriend's still asleep. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Production people are. Production people are working and we're literally like zombies, but we're still functioning. Somehow. Yes. As much as college prepped me, my conservatory prepped me to be a disciplined person and have this work ethic. I think doing three years of that on the Blacklist set was a whole nother kind of boot camp. Yes. Yeah, and I commend the crew workers and the people who stay in yes. the whole time working. Like I can, I am but a fly. You know what? <laughs> I appreciate that. Your call time is sometimes being on set is at seven. So you have to get up at four, four thirty, and then you shoot all day mm-hmm. and you don't see the sun because mm-hmm. you're in, unless you're doing location and then location presents a whole nother set of issues, variables. <laughs> yeah, that you really don't have a life. But still, congratulations on a fantastic run on a great show. I did tell you, and I will say this again publicly, that I have made a mental note not to piss you off because (laughs) you might be small, but you're mighty. (laughs) Right. I was telling you earlier, not a lot of people have seen me mad. And the only people who've seen me mad are my parents, not even my friends. And I think it's a rare opportunity to be able to live out authentically that experience in an imaginary setting. Briefly put. Yeah. Let's get into it. I know that you're an East Coaster. You were born and raised in New Jersey. Yes. And you are of Korean descent. Yes. 100%. Both 100%. So tell me a little bit about what your upbringing was like and what some of the values that your family instilled in you at that point, being that your parents were immigrants as mine were. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what similarities or differences that your parents gave you as a kid. I know you as someone who is very grounded. And you and I were talking earlier about your self-awareness. And also at such a young age in your career, not only were you on a huge fucking show and the amount of discipline it really takes, because being in production is no joke. It really is like training for like a military camp of some sort. But just also your, your knowing the world and the nuances that exist. And you know who you are and the values that are important to you. Mm -hmm. Did some of that come from your family? What was your upbringing like? Can you tell me a little bit about some of the, uh, the lessons that your family passed on to you? The one thing that really comes to mind is when I was younger, I had this experience. 
where I realized a core value of mine is being able to speak the truth and own up to my actions. I think that's very important because most of the times, if I owned up to something that I did, even if it was bad, there would be a silver lining there. And so the example that I can think of was I was very friendly with my neighbors. The grandma that I was very close with was, her name was Midge, and she had a dog. And because I never had a dog growing up, I would always go to her house and play with her dog. And she would leave her dog, Olive, out in the yard for the neighborhood kids to play with. One afternoon, I go to play with Olive, and I pick up this rock. And I just start kind of playing fetch with Olive. And the rock bounces off, like, the house wall. And then it lands and destroys this beautiful glass table of midges. I'm with my brother at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I literally just broke this glass table. And my brother's like, run, go, like, go home, run. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I need to tell her because if I don't tell her, then I don't know. I feel like she'd be mad, but I need to own up to this. So I knocked on Midge's door and she's like, Hello, how's it going? I'm like, Midge, I'm so sorry, but I broke your glass table. And she literally was like, Laura, thank you so much for telling me. Because if you had not told me, I would have been here so upset, blaming someone else for doing it, like the other suspicious kids, the bad kids. But she was like, this will be a great memory for you because I think it's a very courageous thing for you to do to just own up to what you did and to be honest about it. That was the consequence that I had because it wasn't a consequence at all. It was just that she left such a huge impact in my life to this day still where I was like, oh, if I do something bad, I just need to own up to it. Don't lie about something if I did it. We need to send you to Washington. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. But how old were you at that point? I think I was like nine. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it took a lot of courage at nine. Yeah. And I think obviously I had no idea how much this glass table cost or anything, but I went home and I was like, mom, we need to buy Midge this new table because I completely destroyed it. And Midge was just like, no, it's completely fine. The fact that she was honest about it was enough. And I think I've like let that memory be a huge influence in how I live day to day. First of all, your brother is a bad influence. And if you're listening- I know, right? <laughs> My brother's like, run for the hills. You're like, no. Yeah. Leave it to the women to set the example. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. But I also think it's because my parents have always told me to tell the truth. No matter how bad of a situation, they were like, unconditionally, I will support you. And that also made me brave enough to be able to tell the truth. Because I knew that at the end of the day, no matter how bad the situation was, I would have this unconditional support system who would back me. And that was really important. That's amazing. I think it's really important that people know, as I know you, mm -hmm. in terms of how grounded you are. Mm -hmm. And you have this level of self-awareness where we live in a world where things are moving very fast and nuances in situations and conversations are not happening. Mm -hmm. But also, people are making decisions and choices based on snack-sized information that maybe just they see in passing. And all of this to say is, from me knowing you, you are someone who can see 
the different personalities, dynamics, and you are able to say, okay, this is what's going on. You want to not buy into the superficiality of it. We both work in entertainment. That's how you and I met. Yep. And in entertainment, people often can get lost in their own press, mm-hmm. but you have the ability to say, okay, this is a part of the business. This is something I deal with, but this is not who I am. Mm-hmm. I love what I do, but when I go home, you know, I'm running around with pajamas with my dog's face on it or having friends that I've known since kindergarten. And you also shared some of your experiences that are similar to mine. Can you tell me a little bit about your sensibility that you have that you go, okay, this is what I do for a living, but this is who I am. Illustrate that in some of the stories and experiences you've had for listeners, how you navigate that. One of the reasons why I wanted to be an actor is because I was telling you earlier, I think stories are so important, but I think what's more important to me is representing the relationships between people and humanizing individuals. And in order for me to humanize people, I need to have a heightened awareness of how people are feeling and what their point of view about a situation is. And I've learned from college that I learn by being an observer. It's important to me because I want to be able to understand and have the empathy to understand people's point of view and their feelings in an authentic way. I don't really buy into the superficiality because the reason why I'm an actor is because it's therapy for you and me. It's therapy for me to see that, oh, this person has gone through something that maybe I'm familiar with. And for me to latch on to this shared experience is where I find my therapy. When we heal and lean on one another. And it's also that kind of dark expression, misery loves company. I don't see that, that phrase is com- yeah, dark, but yeah. I don't see your approach as being dark. If anything, it's, it's quite light. Yeah, yeah. I think I want to find the light in situations and I want to find humanity. In a business where humanity does not live, I want to be able to find that and fight for that. We need that on a t-shirt. Yeah, (laughs) we do need that on a t-shirt. A lot of people in the entertainment industry can lose their way in some senses, but you definitely have talked about cultivating things outside of the industry that fulfill you, like your friends and your your hobbies and things. Yeah. How do you separate the superficiality with your real life? Like, how do you not get intoxicated? Yeah, I think it's incredibly difficult. I think I had a really hard time when I was working in the industry because I felt so stuck in that because I felt very, oh, this is the way it is and this is the way that I have to be then. But when you buy into that, I think you get lost And I'll speak for myself. I got lost in, oh, like, why am I doing this? Is it really just a job to me then? And that made me realize, oh, okay, the only way that I can take my power back of why I'm doing this in the first place, why I'm an actor, is if I just step away for a minute and find my own inspiration again from people, from curating and cultivating a community where I feel safe and heard and where I can make art that I believe can heal and touch people and say something that actually I resonate with and I believe in. 
It can be very difficult when I'm in an environment that feels very nine to five. Feels very, not nine to five, nine to nine. Nine to nine, (laughs) the next morning. Exactly. It can feel very difficult to get lost in that. And I think in an industry where also there's hierarchies in place, I wanted to humble myself and get back to my roots and realize, oh, if I'm an actor, if I can truly call myself a vessel for other stories in how I get there and relationships to represent and shine light upon, then I need to be truthful. And I needed to strip away all of the BS of... The noise? Yes, I needed to strip away the noise and just get back to the heart of it. Yeah, you've done a great job doing that. And I know that Blacklist is a great show. Great show. And you killed it as Alina Park and killed others. I know, right? (laughs) Almost, almost. Almost, yeah. (laughs) But I think it's great that you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. And I think that's really healthy. And it's very difficult once you're getting on the entertainment train Mm -hmm. or any train Mm -hmm. in terms of working, being able to step away from something that you love. And obviously, it's a huge success. That's an incredible amount of strength and self-awareness to say, okay, I love this. And I'm so grateful for this. And this is amazing. Yeah. But also, I need to do this. Yeah. And I think people, once they get on a train, any kind of train, regardless of what job they're on, It's just easy to go. It's just easy to go on the train. And I respect that. But I think I needed to step back. I I realized like I'm still young and I didn't want to quite get lost in that sauce yet. I still wanted to figure out like, oh, what is it that I'm actually wanting to say and wanting to spread? Let me ask you this. (laughs) You are of Korean descent. When you're growing up, do you have a community of other Korean Americans that you hung out with that you can relate to? And did you see any Korean faces on TV that mm-hmm. sort of inspired you? Because yeah. I'll be honest with you, I didn't see nothing. I didn't see it. Honestly, okay, so I'm going to say this and it's going to be hilarious because everyone's going to be like, oh, you want to become an actor because of Sandra Oh. Yes and no. So the movie she's that great. I... No, she's wonderful. Yeah. But the movie that I say that inspired me to become an actress is that I love The Princess Diaries and I love Anne Hathaway's character in The Princess Diaries. Obviously, Sandra Oh is in that movie. She killed it as the principal. But I was like, oh, I think when I was younger, maybe it's my own kind of unicorn way of viewing things, but I didn't really see race. Well, you were a kid. Exactly. And so I just saw this wonderful character. I was like, wow, she's amazing. At the time, I was so inspired by that. Later on, it became more apparent that I am Asian. And that sounds so ridiculous because obviously I've been wearing this face. But it wasn't until maybe in college that I actually felt, oh, this is actually a bigger thing. This is outside of myself. And I grew up in a pretty white neighborhood and all my friends weren't Asian. My Korean friends that I did have actually were from church Okay, and I'm still close with them, but it wasn't a huge thing that I was quite aware of in high school until college. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Going back to what you were saying, obviously we both knew we were Asian. Yes, obviously. You know what I'm saying? I think what we didn't, or at least I'll speak for myself and you can tell me if you're great, I didn't realize was how I was perceived. Mm. Obviously, I knew it was Chinese, duh. Yeah, yeah. But I, and I've had conversations with other people, both privately and also on the podcast, and this is embarrassing, and I'm yeah. really embarrassed to say this, but I asked my mom for a nose job because I didn't like the way I looked, uh-huh. not understanding what that was really stemming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think what we weren't aware of uh-huh. at that time because of our age, and obviously we weren't socially aware at nine, was how the world saw us and what that actually meant in terms of the opportunities we had or didn't have and the lane that we were put in. Yes. So having said that, when you started to notice that you were different mm-hmm. or you were an Asian person or mm-hmm. you were Korean, mm-hmm. how did that start to impact how you saw the world? Was there an instance where you found it difficult to fit in? Because you're so gregarious. Mm-hmm. You are so friendly. Yeah. Did you ever not fit in? Because I was like awkward. I was like a three-legged <laughs> rhinoceros with roller skates. Yeah. That's me. I, I love it. I love it. I wasn't a social butterfly. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I don't think I was a social butterfly either, but I ca- carried my own. I think the biggest thing that I was very defensive on was my parents. They have very broken English. And whenever I would see other people bullying my parents because they didn't speak perfect English, that's when I was like, oh, they see them as other. Mm. They didn't see me that way because I speak English very well, hopefully. But I think that's when I started to see race become more of an issue or become more apparent in my life as a thing that I need to focus on and be passionate about. It's very privileged of me to say, but I've never felt like 
I was the one in danger. If anything, I felt like I had to be stronger because I felt I needed to protect my parents who was getting the finger pointed at for being different. That's so interesting that you say that because now you're actually putting language to, I think, some of my experiences that Mm -hmm. I never really thought about. Mm. My parents were also bullied, Mm. and my mom especially, because she was so tiny. And I remember her telling me a story where, you know, immigrants, they didn't know the language and she was getting lunch and and they asked her what she wanted and she was like, that green stuff. Mm -hmm. And they laughed in her face Mm. and it was spinach and she didn't know what the word was. And I remember feeling how hurt, even now, you know, all she said to me was, I just had to be humble and learn, even though it sucked. She didn't say that, I'm just saying it sucked. (laughs) But it's interesting that you say that your parents were bullied. Yeah. How did that affect you since you were a kid and you felt like you needed to protect them? I think I wanted to be someone who can be a voice to them because they're of the culture that, you know, you're silent, you're patient and you bow and you wave and you smile. And you don't rock the boat. And you don't rock the boat. No. But I was like, okay, if you're not going to rock the boat, then I need to make sure that I'm heard. And I'm going to be the freaking good English speaker for our family and be the vocal person because you're not. Because it's just not culturally embedded in them. Exactly. I'm American and this is the country that I live in. And I want to fight for you guys for that. Because now you're living here too. That's awesome. This kind of springboards me into another thing that I wanted to get into. Now, I'm going to table set a little bit because we're both in entertainment. Mm-hmm. We know some of the processes that we all have to go through. As an actor, you get something called character breakdowns, where when you're reading for a part, you get a brief description of these characters. Now, you talked a little bit about seeing some of these character breakdowns as archetypes. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how that affected you? Because here you are. First of all, you're coming out of school. Anyone coming out of school, all we want to is get a job. And you're still finding your identity in person. Mm -hmm. How did getting these character breakdowns and being in a position where you want to get these jobs because you're graduating and also be able to make some kind of money to show our parents that we're not like (laughs) losers? Okay. So we all want to get a job. And then you want to get a job as an actor. Yeah. As a Korean American very limited roles, getting these archetypes that you don't want to put out there. Can you talk a little bit about that sort of dichotomy and process and that rock in a hard place position you were in? Yeah. Honestly, it was very difficult for me in the first couple of months because all that I was auditioning for were the one-liners at a coffee shop, nail salon, you name it. And I, nurse, doctor, whatever you can paste this face on. And I think I was very discouraged because obviously this is not the persona that I want to be putting out there for myself. But at the same time, there are no small parts. You know, that right. my actor part of me is I want to do this as best as I can because I'm an actor. And I think eventually it kind of became important for me to be a little bit more picky and choosy to take care of myself and recognize that, oh, I'm not right for this role because... I may look this way, but that's not my experience and I can't really relate to it. As, as much as I want to say that 
I'm an actor and I'm living these, as Meisner would define it, living truthfully in imaginary circumstances. I want to be able to also take an extra step back because I do need to be cognizant of the fact that I am Asian and this is the face that I would be putting out there representing this character. I put that burden upon myself, though, because I think it's important if I'm staying true to my initial narrative that I was saying earlier about how I want to be a voice to my parents who are not able to speak. How am I going to be a hypocrite and do exact opposite of what I say I'm going to do? There was times when I was asked to do an accent when the role was not even required an accent. There's a difference between it being a comic relief or if it's actually feeding the story. And at a certain point I said, this is this role is not worth it to put Laura Sohn, to put this To compromise your person. Exactly. Yeah. And it's hard to say no, too. Yeah, it's because really hard. It's not like auditions are coming every day. So at the end of the day, I think you have to take care of yourself first and recognize there are some things that you're not willing to compromise especially when they are and can be hurtful for future generations or even hurtful for your own soul. <laughs> There's so much there because on one hand, you are aware yeah. that you are opening doors for other people. And then there's this personal layer yeah. of you wanting to obviously work and be someone who can eat. Yeah. (laughs) On a practical level, you love what you do and you're great at it. But that line of not compromising your person, I think that's kind of universal regardless of what job you're in. Yeah. I think most people would go with the flow Mm -hmm. because they need to work. And it's very hard to step back, especially in a world like entertainment, because it is a very competitive industry. Right. And certainly the minority roles are still hard to come by. So I really commend you Mm -hmm. in terms of having not just the self-awareness and the courage to exemplify your beliefs Mm -hmm. so you can be the voice that you want to be and to tell the stories. But as an actor, what kind of walls have you hit Where do you find some of the disconnect of Mm -hmm. what you want to do versus what's available? And what do you think we can do to make it better? It's funny thing because I think the little girl in me is I want to be an actor because this is my dream. And I've always just wanted to act like the telling the stories and being passionate about relationships. So you don't even see the walls until you're in it. Fair. Very fair. So it's hard for me to answer because... There are even walls that I have not come across to this day that I don't even know that I'm going to be running into. But I will run into them when they come to me and I will handle that in whatever way that I will handle it. But I don't know. And that's the kind of scary, naive thing. I don't think that's naive. (laughs) You can't really prepare for what you don't know is going to come. Yeah. (laughs) Where did you get this ability to separate yourself and say, okay, I can get caught up in this or I can choose to handle it differently? I don't know where it's come from, but I do think it's very important to me to be able to actually listen to people when they're talking to me and not just listen so that I can respond. I love that. I want to hear and hear wholeheartedly what the other person is trying to communicate. And if I don't understand 
than being able to unashamedly say that I don't know what you're saying. Can you say it another way? To get out of my own way, to be able to actually fully understand someone. It's important to me because I feel like sometimes I don't feel fully understood. And I want to be able to take the space to communicate how I'm feeling. And sometimes words fail. So it's hard and we're all trying our best to actually have full conversations with one another. But I think maybe it's the Libra in me that I just want to be so hard on myself. I'm hard on myself to fully understand someone when they're talking to me. And that self-awareness is just something that maybe I've disciplined myself to do. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm someone who very much roots for the underdog. It's important to me because I, I sometimes feel like an underdog. So if I treat everyone like an underdog, then I will automatically give them the space to be able to speak their piece and for me to take a step back for me to fully understand them. It's interesting that you say underdog because it almost ties back into your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Your parents were the underdogs. This is my therapy session that I never knew I needed. <laughs> You'll get my bill. You'll get my bill. New York's expensive. I gotta make a living. No, but your parents were underdogs. My yeah. parents were underdogs. I didn't realize that too until you were just talking mm, and I'm thinking mm, about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it ties right back what you were saying is to want to fight for your parents. Yeah. Who Absolutely are the underdogs? Right. The yeah. immigrants. What was one defining moment that you want to share that was hard for you maybe at the time, mm -hmm. but you actually learned something from it? One of the work ethics that I live by is to be grateful for whatever situation that I'm in. And that stems from a physical thing that happened to me in college. I, ba I basically tore my ACL in college and I wasn't able to walk for six months. Oh shit, how did you do that? I'm not a very athletic person and it's gonna make me sound so athletic that I tore my ACL. It was because of a movement project. It was a project that I had to do for my sophomore movement class. One of the requirements was that your partner has to be off the ground for 10 seconds. And yeah, it's, kind of it's <laughs> like contemporary dance if I had to explain it to people who've never taken a conservatory okay. class. So I had two partners and both of them were male. And I've let go of all that pride now, but I was very prideful then. And I was like, I'm the girl. I'm not going to be the one who's going to be off the ground. I'm going to carry both of you. So I'm sorry, what did you say? Yes. So I carried like two 250 pound men and I ended up tearing my ACL because, you know, the weight. <laughs> for those who, because it's an know. audio podcast, oh. Laura's 5'1", right? No, no, I'm 5'4". You're 5'4". Okay, I'm 5'1". Sorry. <laughs> she, oh, she just thinks this is her eye level. Right, I'm right, projecting. Right. But wait, you carried? Yes. But you're so petite. I know. And, but I'm also very prideful. Like I just had this huge, like I can do the best and beyond. I'm just so hard on myself that I was like, I'm given a project. So how can I excel at this? No, I get that completely. <laughs> and that's a little Asian. I'm sorry. That's the, yeah, no, that's, that's a, the Asian in yeah, me. That's the Asian. For sure. I'm going to start calling you She-Hulk. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to. You carried two 200 pound guys. Yeah. And then my body was like, you can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, right. I can't. So I was humbled. <laughs> I'm grateful you didn't break your back. I know. 
Okay, but you you hurt your ACL and you couldn't walk for six months. I tore my months. ACL. I couldn't walk for six months. And I think during that time, because I was still going to class and I refused to stay back a year. Yeah. I remember the first time I ran again or mm. even walked again without crutches. It was just so humbling. I felt an extreme gratitude for being able to get back on my feet Literally, again and yeah. have the yeah. body that I have and take care of myself in a way that my body is my vessel. So now I have a gratitude for every single time I'm just able to walk. So being able to do like little things and being able to meet up with you. Like I have extreme amount of gratitude for the people that come into my life. The people who've made an impact on me and yeah, hopefully I them, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's also where your sense of self-care comes from. Mm-hmm. Because I think as women, and I'll speak for myself, I have a really hard time with taking care of myself. I feel like we're givers. Personality-wise, I'm a people pleaser. Mm-mm-mm. And that might be a little bit like people in entertainment in general who want to make people happy. <laughs> yeah. You've thrown people through doorways, but you got paid to do it. It was in the job yeah. description. Yeah. So. <laughs> I had to just throw somebody through the doorway. Yeah. <laughs> Not just your sense of gratitude, but your self-care. Do you feel like mm-hmm. that sort of stemmed from that? Absolutely. The gratitude and the self-care. I have to take a step back to look at the big picture and see if I'm actually feeling good about a situation, feeling like, oh, did this hurt my feelings? Oh, it did hurt my feelings. Why is that? I make it a note to actually be able to properly process something, a moment, um, an experience, because if not, you're desensitized to it. And in a world where everything is so scary, it is scarier to become desensitized. Oh my God, yeah. Because then you don't care. So I'm going to go out on a ledge and see my perspective is that people are becoming very desensitized. Um, The unfortunate thing, you know, not to get too political, but regardless of what side you're on, there's no denying the fact that shootings are rampant. You've learned to not be desensitized, which is so critical. What helps you not be desensitized? It's such a a mental boxing match. Ooh, okay. Because... There's such a fine line where I think it can be very dangerous too if you're too sensitized. Yeah. Because then you're just paranoid about every waking second. It's important to maybe have the difficult conversations. You know, growing up in an Asian household, we don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about no nothing, you know? Oh, oh girl, you know. Now, like after I went to acting conservatory, I realized, oh, it's, it's okay to talk about feelings and be real with people. And these pockets of people that I have and I've curated in my life that make me feel safe and heard are so important. So I think they're my saving grace, right? Actually being able to have conversations one-on-one with people instead of, hey, how's it going? Good, good. I'm sorry, are you actually good or are you good? Like, you know, like I want to actually know. That's why I'm asking. But I think most of the times I, I can come off very intense to some people because of that. Because I'm like, hey, how are you? And they're like, whoa, like stop staring into my soul right now. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll lay off. But I think it's important to have conversations and be able to check in with one another in an authentic way. Otherwise, we're alone in our phones scrolling. Right. <laughs> okay, if people want to be more authentic and they want to be able to look past the superficial as you do, what can you tell them to encourage them to do that? For people who have some sort of trepidation in having an authentic conversation or don't feel like they have the time, 
Why is that important to you? And what would you say to them to have those authentic conversations? This might be an unpopular opinion because I feel like a lot of friends and people in my life have set up a lot of boundaries to protect themselves. And I ask that instead of building these boundaries with one another, we can strip that away to be able to have a truthful conversation from time to time. Obviously, I think boundaries are there to protect you and and create a safe space. But I think sometimes a safe space also feels safe because the boundaries that we set are on the same page. I try to lead with love and kindness. Whenever I start a conversation with someone to make sure they feel safe and make sure that they don't feel any judgment from me is just by being truthful in that situation as well and not having a a guard up. But again, I think that's difficult because like it's a situation by situation basis. For sure, for sure. I'm a pretty open book and I'm very unafraid to kind of just be me. Which is great. Yeah. One of the problems that I think are adding to the complicated issues we're having, which is we're not interested in listening to other people. How do you sort of navigate that and how do you not let it hurt your feelings? I think the manner in which I would go about that situation is first I would recognize it. Oh, this is the kind of conversation that we're having. The only way that I can prevent myself from getting hurt is to be aware that I am in control of what I am saying. That is how I will navigate it. I can't control what this person is feeling or what this person is saying to me or even if this person is listening to me. But what I can control is what I'm saying to this person and how I interpret this thing. And that's where my power would lie. If I am able to stay authentic to that because I am me, it doesn't matter how this person interprets it. That's hard. That's really hard. It's very, very hard. Especially in our business, because sometimes the way you handle it can be consequential. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so necessary to find pockets of people that you can actually lean on and trust and feel that safe space. I want to be able to say a safe space is where you can say something wrong and not be judged for it. Gotcha. But you're saying you're cultivating that outside a little bit because you have to protect yourself because you can't do it in the job. Yeah, I do think it is a very delicate and difficult balance. And then you have Mm -hmm. to navigate that, but also not compromise yourself. You know where your boundaries are. And I love that you're actually stepping back from something that is obviously hugely successful to take care of yourself. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if enough people are doing that regardless of gender, women especially. I think the reason why I was able to do that was because I needed to take a step back and and ask myself, is this serving you anymore? And I was like, you know what? This is no longer serving me. And that's when I felt empowered because I was able to take the step back and kind of take ownership and claim my life again for me. And again, I have so much gratitude for my, my jobs But I also recognize that I'm a human being and I'm evolving just like everyone else is evolving around me. And I needed to evolve for my own self. I need to think about like what would be healthy for me. And that's very hard because it's such a tough world to survive in. Just paying bills that you're like, oh, okay, what's next? What's next? next?" And especially in entertainment when jobs are hard to come by. What were some of the experiences that you came up against and you felt like you had to break a barrier? And what did you do? 
When I first was auditioning and I was seeing literally all the same faces all the time, I'd be like, oh, right. Like, I guess this is this is my competition. And like other Asian female. Yes, other Asian females. Because of that, I was constantly comparing myself to these girls. When we had different personalities, different strengths, weaknesses. Physicality. Physicality, exactly. And I had to take a step back and realize, oh, this is me. This is me doing me. In order for me to break out of that category, I think I needed to, one, fight for myself um, and fight for the roles that I was going in for because I, I wanted to make sure that there were avenues that I can take that would be more fulfilling for me. Finding really good people on my side who are genuinely on my side, who actually saw me as a person and not a category. I think that was very important for me. Now, there's something else I wanted to kind of get to. In another episode, I talked to Mm -hmm. Yvonne Chapman from Kung Fu. She's the one who actually made me aware that even your name can sort of put you in a specific lane. Her name, Yvonne Chapman, you don't think that she's Asian. I had no idea. (laughs) I literally, you sent me that text and I was like, then I look her up and I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But it also made me sad that her grandfather had to have the forethought to be like, hey, Mm -hmm. if I change my name, I can get more opportunities. You are Korean American, 100% Korean. Your name is Laura Son, S-O-H-N, which doesn't suggest that you are Korean. What were some of your experiences with your name? You know, it's illegal to ask, are you Korean? I get that every time I'm in a cab. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Literally every single time I'm in a cab. Wow. I like clockwork. The driver looks at the back of the uh, rear mirror. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. (laughs) Are you Korean? No. I wonder why that's... No. And inevitably, Chinese is the last one. Really? Mexican. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I was afraid to fight the driver because if he's asking me if I'm Mexican, he's yeah. on something and I'm in a car. <laughs> Wait, that's so funny because I feel like I'm always asked, are you Chinese? No, I never. Mine's like the reverse. Yeah. Like mine's always, are you Chinese? Are you? And I've gotten Indian before. And then Is they it ask the same cab driver that asked me if no. I'm Mexican. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, are you okay? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. What were some of the experiences that you've had with your name? And did you find that it helped or hindered? I think it's like what you said. It categorized me. Before they saw you? Yes, because of the last name. It was interesting that you brought that up because like, I've never gotten that before. People have always assumed that I am Asian. The thing that I will get is that instead of asking me, are you Korean? They'll ask, can you speak Korean? Because that's not illegal, right? Speak the language. Then they assume that I- didn't I, even know it was illegal to ask you. Yeah. Because I've gotten that hundreds of times. It's illegal to ask if you're asking because you need it for a job. Oh, that, yes. Yeah. In a cab, I guess not. No, no, yeah, not in a cab. (laughs) In a cab, they could ask whatever you want. Yeah, and they're driving, uh, so you're kind of needing Right, like your life depends on it. (laughs) I did not know. When I saw your name on a call sheet before I saw you, I didn't think you were Asian. Yeah. And then when I saw you on set, I was like, wait, that's... That can't be Laura Song. I actually think I've gotten like German before because Son is a German last name as well. But yeah, I was really intrigued by Yvonne's experience because my friends have definitely had something similar. My my Asian friends in the industry. Were you ever asked to portray something horrifically stereotypical? 
Yes. I remember I was asked to play a nail salon lady. Funnily enough, like I was pinned. You were what? Pinned. So before you book something, a casting director will be like, oh, can we like pin her? Which means like, can we put a hold on her because we like her? Okay, gotcha. And we don't know if the role is going to get cut yet. So in the beginning, I'm like, oh my God, I might book this. And then at the same time, I was like, oh my gosh, I might book this. Right, like, right. <laughs> it was this horrible feeling of, wait, do I play this? Am I insulting my people? There is a side of me that I'm like, oh, well, well, there are a lot of Korean nail salon ladies. But at the same time, I yeah. was like, but they don't have to be Korean. Is that important to the story? Right. Well, thank God they cut the role. <laughs> So again, it's the wall that I came up to, yeah. right? And the yeah. wall kind of dissolved, so I didn't have to handle the situation. But I thought about it, and I realized I don't want to compromise that part of myself. There is a reason why I think Aziz Ansari said that he didn't want to play an accent because that's just not what he wants to do. It was so refreshing to hear because I never gave myself permission. In what sense? I never gave myself the permission to say no to that. Know that many women have given themselves permission to yeah, say no they to haven't. anything. No, yeah. to be absolutely. And yeah. honestly, my friends, she's like the self love queen. She she said this to me once, and it really took a good effect on me. She was like, "Saying no to other people is saying yes to yourself." I need that on a shirt. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my god, that's so great. Yeah, that is so huge. Which goes back to one question I wanted to get back to earlier. Again, when you're getting these archetypes and you're still young, you want a job. And identity, I think, is something we all struggle with, regardless of what age bracket you are. When you're getting these parts that are archetypes, how does that impact your sense of self when you're just starting out? How did you just not go like, okay, I'll just fit this mold? It was very hard because you're giving these character breakdowns that kind of seem all similar. And then you're like, oh, is this the way that people see me? The strongest thing that I did for myself is to create strong points of views and strong choices whenever I got an audition to be able to claim that for myself again. So it's like, oh, you want it this way? Well, I'm going to make a choice and you're going to see it my way. That's really awesome, Laura. It requires a lot of challenging yourself. Yeah. If you're so used to just doing the same thing again and again, you get tired of it. You don't know how to get out of that. When you're getting all these character breakdowns that becomes a little habitual, I'm like, I recognize that these people are writing my narrative. I need to start writing my own narrative. I need to start making my own choices that are different, that break this mold that you're putting me into. Then let me challenge you this. It's like if the writers are writing this role in a very specific way. Yeah. That may not have the dimensions that might be needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you then buck the system or how do you bring your world and their world together? It depends on the kind of script that you're given. Because if it's a day player, then it's a little like, this is the role and there's no breaking out of that, right? right. You are the barista. You're not going to all the be a son and be like, a musical or like <laughs> actor on this. Like, <laughs> I'm going to change the genre of this show. You got to make smart choices yes. too. But I think when you're given the opportunity with a script that excites you, you're able to take what the writers put on the script, no matter what it is, okay. and give your own twist to it. That strong, smart choice that you're making for yourself, because that is literally who you are and you're bringing your, yourself to the work, is where right. the writers are able to see, I think, oh, wow, I didn't even know that this might be something that I wanted. 
And that's when it becomes a beautiful collaboration between the writer and the actor. That's great. You guys are playing on each other's strengths. How you choose to handle things, be it a role or relationships that may not be reciprocated, is really interesting because not everyone's going to relate to someone the same way you do. Not everyone handles situations the same way you do. And you are not reactionary. The best advice that I can give is to let go of your ego a little bit, temporarily, for that conversation to exist. It's selfless and selfish at the same time. There is moments where you have to be selfish, but there's moments where you need to be selfless too in order to have a conversation. I think because in a doggy dog world, it, it just seems like people are trying so hard to be heard and there's not enough people who are listening. I think a small act can go a long way. Amen, and so sister. don't be afraid to speak your truth because if you speak your truth, you're enabling other people to speak their truth and there in turn creates safe environments. How are you in your 20s and you know this shit? <laughs> I think we live in a society where you are penalized or thought less of if you don't just keep going. I'm going to take this conversation and remind myself that I can also step back and just take care of myself and I don't have to feel bad about it. What's one change that you want to try to do or make? I think it's important for me to kind of help change the narrative of Asian stereotypes as well, to be able to present these kind of new characters that I'm able to craft. I love that. So, Laura, I just broke open a bottle of wine and it's calling for us. So I'm going to ask you for our sign off. Will you let me know who you are and what you represent? I am Laura Sohn and I represent Sonder. I'll explain it because I feel like there's a company named Sonder and yeah. I don't mean the company. <laughs> So Sonder, the definition is basically the realization that the people that you meet in your life on the street have just as much a complicated and complex life as you do. Thank you to Laura Stone for her time. I don't know if you guys could tell, but I had a blast hanging out with her. She is an incredible person, full of important insight and inspiration. I know you're going to want to follow Laura, so I'll have her social media links in the episode description. If you like this episode, be sure to share and subscribe. And I'd love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or wherever you're listening. Also, don't forget, every episode of Reppin is available for download. There are lots of amazing stories that can empower you. And if you want to connect with me and let me know what you're up to, who you'd like to guest, what you agree with or disagree with, you can do that on Twitter. You can find me at Reppin Podcast or Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Always, thank you to my crew, Nelson B.B. Panero and Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent.
Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read Podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.